0: Again, welcome to Refuge Fellowship. So before we get started, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for this opportunity to come together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, as we hear the prayer request, we have some dear friends of us traveling. Uh, We know how difficult that is right now. So, Lord, I just ask that you please go before them, Lord, and just uh, provide all the necessary connections, Lord, and just that they'd have not just a safe flight but an enjoyable one, that all their tests would be as needed, and, Lord, they'd arrive safely, relaxed. So, Lord, I just pray for your hand of protection on our uh, friends as they travel. Lord, as some of us aren't able to sleep, Lord, I just pray, Lord, you just, uh, your spirit would be upon each one of us. I know I saw some others that are maybe struggling with that, Lord. So I just pray for your Holy Spirit just to give us that rest and that peace that our minds would just calm down, Lord, and we would just know that we're no matter what's going on around us, Lord, that you're there and you're still God. Lord, I want to pray for children's ministry right now as Laura's over there. She's teaching these children, Lord. She's bringing them up in the Word. So, Lord, I just pray for your Holy Spirit to speak to each one of these children, that they would not be too distracted, but their focus would be on you. Lord, I just ask for an anointing on her. As we dig into your Word, Lord, as we begin this going through the Gospels chronologically, Lord, to learn about who you are through your Word. Lord, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to each one of us as we go through these different passages, verse by verse. Lord, I pray that, Lord, we would learn something. We would learn more of who you are, but also we'd learn who we are in you. And then we would take that outside these doors, Lord, and we'd go share with the world, with the lost, the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. So, Lord, I praise you and I thank you, and I just ask for your blessing on this time and blessing on this message. And all God's people said, amen. Hopefully you brought your Bibles. If not, you can grab your phone, Bibles, whatever you got. We're going to need our Bibles. Um, Unfortunately, right now, we're still working on getting some here. (laughs) So we are going to be in Luke today. So you can start getting there. But as we begin the book of Luke today, I wanted to start with a a little background on the author. Because maybe some of you are familiar, but maybe some of you aren't. So Luke is interesting. Luke here in the New Testament... He is a Gentile, that is, he's not Jewish, like pretty much, I'm assuming, all of us, right? I think we're all Gentiles here. But it's also interesting, as we look at this book, this author, that he was not an eyewitness to the accounts that he wrote about. In fact, he never even met Jesus that we know of. But we do know, we're pretty sure he was a close friend of Paul, and so he joined Paul, we think, on the last two of his missionary journeys, Now, we know Luke. He's educated. He was a doctor. In fact, what we believe he did is he went and interviewed all the people that had met and seen Jesus firsthand. And he then wrote the account of Jesus and the life that he had. So Luke is uh, very different, a little bit different in the Gospels. He does give us a little bit different insight. In fact, he fills some gaps or a different perspective than the other three Gospels give us. And what he does, he gives each one of us maybe a little, a deeper understanding who Jesus was kind of personally. He also teaches, of course, on his teachings, uh, what he did. But it is a different perspective than all the other writers. So as we get going in the book of Luke, I know some of you weren't here last week, but we got to go back for a quick review. So who was here that remembers what we talked about last week? What we talked about was defining our faith. And I taught through John 1, 1 through 18. And through this study that we looked at last week, which is going to continue into this week in many ways, we learned that Jesus is eternal. We learned that he was the creator. We learned that he is the one who gives life. And we also know that he is light. We learned even more, though. We learned that Jesus came here on this earth as God to live as as man, and then Jesus came and he shared the promise, the promise of hope and the promise of the kingdom of God. And then after Jesus had shared this message with the world, we know that he died on the cross for each of our sins in our place, paying our sin debt. Then we know he was resurrected. He defeated sin. He defeated death. And through this, this is the definition of our faith. Through this, each of us were given that right to be reborn into the family of God through faith in Jesus. So I went through all that really quick just to explain that was defining faith from last week. And we see that through that, that Jesus has, that's where our faith is defined, that Jesus is God and that each of us would know Jesus as our Savior and our Lord. So now each of us hopefully have a definition of our faith. So what's next? I hope everyone here is Christian and can define who their faith is in. What's next? What do you do with that as we continue to this week? Do we all just say, Well, I'm a Christian. I believe in God. You know, I believe all the things that I just went through, I rattled on from last week. You know, that He died in my place. He's resurrected. He defeated sin. What's next? Do we just sit around and wait for Jesus? Or do we just sit around and wait to die? I know some Christians kind of do that, just to wait to pass from this world to the next world? Is that what we do? As I ask that question, I mean, it sounds silly, but it's not, because it's true. We need to ask this question. What does God's Word say that we are to do as Christians as we look for His second coming? What does it say? Watch your Bibles. Hold your finger and mark right there, but you sorry in Luke and turn one page back in my Bible to Mark sixteen fifteen. This is my life verse. Let's read Mark sixteen fifteen. And then he told them Go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. We are to go out and we are to testify to the world that it's Jesus who saves. God has gifted gifted every one of us with different physical and spiritual giftings that will enable us to go out and fulfill this commandment. And today, we're beginning to study a prophecy, a prophecy of John the Baptist. And he would prepare the way for Jesus. Many of you are obviously familiar with John the Baptist and what he did. But his job was to prepare the way for Jesus. So as we see what John did, I go back to the question in the title of the message is... Are you preparing the way? Are you preparing those that God has placed in your life to hear the good news of Jesus? Many of you, maybe you're going, yeah, of course I'm doing that. Maybe some of you are saying, no, I don't, I'm not sure. But I want to ask you, not just yes, but I want to know how. How are you doing this? If you say, how are you are preparing the way for someone to meet Jesus? How are you testifying to the world around you, to the people that God has placed in your circle and around you that Jesus saves. How are you doing that? Let's, let's start, begin our study in Luke. Luke is going to testify through this gospel and he's going to teach us who Jesus is and what he's done for the lost. So let's start in Luke with the first four verses and get into our study. Luke chapter 1, verse 1. Many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. They used the eyewitness reports circulating among us from the early disciples. Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I've also decided to write an accurate account for you, the most honorable Theophilus, so you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. These passages, as we begin in Luke, begin with a basic introduction to this Gospel of Luke. He's explaining to this reader, Theophilus, that he, Luke personally wishes to inform him or share the truth of who Jesus is in this letter. And it's interesting. We Turn over to Acts chapter 1 because we get another little tidbit on the introduction of this. Turn to Acts chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 1 and 2. It says, In my first book, that's the one we're reading today, Luke, I told you, Theobolus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. So Luke explains in this intro to Acts a little bit more information to what we're going to be studying today. It was to testify about Jesus and everything that he had taught, everything that he had did, just to really share with the world who Jesus is. So turn back to Luke. So Luke explains in this introduction back in Luke that many others have been also sharing or testifying about Jesus. Many others have explained that he was the fulfillment to God's promises. You know, if, if you look at this, I really think if you read these verses, you can see that he personally, Luke personally looked to each of these stories. He went to each of these people. And he, you know, Luke was a doctor. So, you know, I, I know quite a few doctors. and They're kind of like detectives, right? If you say you're sick, they kind of like a detective. and They start looking at all the symptoms and look at all the facts. And really digging in and going back in history and um, doing this. And that's what Luke is that when he wrote this. So he really, he looked at every detail before he wrote this. And so when he wrote this, I think he had a very accurate um, gospels in a chronological order. So last week we started and this week we're, we're continuing. But to, in order to go chronologically through the New Testament, we have to take a minute right there after verse 4 and we have to look chronologically what actually happened next. So turn to Matthew. Matthew chapter 1. Look at that. 1 through 17. We see a whole lot of names there, huh? A whole lot of names. Does anyone think they could actually pronounce all their names correctly? I'm not going to try. So Matthew here is writing to the Jewish people, and he begins his gospel by proving to the Jewish people Jesus' genealogy, right? And He's showing that this is what was prophesied. This is where Jesus, where he came from. So he's telling these Jewish people that Jesus is the Messiah. And his family line, if you look at it, actually he goes back to, all the way back to Abraham. It's very interesting. Now Luke, if you turn over to Luke, turn right back. Luke chapter 3, uh, starting in verse 23, we see another genealogy. And it starts there, and the first one I like, it says, Jesus was known as the son of Joseph. I like how he wrote that. Now, this one's interesting, because Luke actually goes deeper, right? He's kind of a detective. He expounds even more on Matthew's account, and he goes all the way back to Adam. If you turn and look at verse uh, 38, it ends with, Adam was the son of God. All the way up to the first one, Jesus was known as the son of Joseph. It's absolutely amazing. Again, I'm not going to embarrass myself by trying to read through all these names. I'm not actually going to spend even much time on these verses today. There's a lot of pastors that have taught through this genealogy, and they've done a great job. I've heard many sermons how they'll take and they'll pick out some of the people in there, right? Uh, Some of the people that uh, I'd say lived more colorful lives. Um, I won't pick any names out. Uh, But showing us how there's many people in here that were flawed people. But yet through that, Jesus, right? I will say this. Every one of these people that we see in this long list of names here, every one of them needed the same grace and mercy that each one of us do. Every one of them were sinners. They were in need of a Savior as we look at this whole entire list of names. And again, there's been a lot of sermons done on that. I'm not going to do that today. Um, I'm just going to go right back over to Luke chapter 1, verse 5. Let's start. Luke chapter 1, verse 5. When Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah. I said that wrong. And his wife, Elizabeth, was also a member of the priestly order. Line of Aaron, uh, through 7. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. Luke is very detailed. We saw he first explains why he wrote the letter, and now as he started, he's given a background on John the Baptist. This kind of sets the stage for telling this story as he begins. So I like to imagine that we're in a movie set, as I look through the Gospels and look through these stories. You know, I think a lot of people are watching Chosen now, right? That's kind of the popular thing, really enjoying that. So you can imagine this is a stage, right? And There's a set. And so as we read Bible stories, it's really neat to be a person. You can be the cameraman if you want to be. Maybe you can be uh, someone in the background. Um, You can place yourself. But I want us all to join in as we go in this story and place ourselves in this story, because he starts by giving some details so we can kinda of understand what's going on here. He lets us know uh first when we read that, the time, right? We know it's Harold was king, so we know when this took place. We know the people. He starts with explaining the people that are going to be used in this story, Zechariah and Elizabeth. So we have the two main people. Also, we start to learn right away in these verses the character of the people that God is going to use. We see through the passages they were servants. They were seen as righteous, they were obedient, but what else did we learn about them? That they didn't have any children, and now they were both very old. You know, as you think about this, I'm sure this couple, as he was a priest even, I'm sure they faced even condemnation from their own people not having children. This was a big deal. I'm sure that people around them possibly even thought that maybe they had done something wrong to not have children resulting from that yet we see obviously zachariah and elizabeth remained faithful to serve the lord even though they had not seen the blessings of children so the stage is the stage is set we have these two older servants of god that are seen righteous even as they faced many hardships let's read how god is going to use them in verses 8 through 10 one day Zechariah was serving god in the temple For his order was on duty that week. As was the custom of the priest, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. While the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. So again, Luke has given us some amazing details. He explains all of this is how it's taking place. As we begin to get in the story, we see it's very specific. It's not by accident. As we look at this, are you still in that movie set? Are you still imagining this taking place? Because you've got to put yourself right in the story. This was a very, very special day for Zechariah. He had been chosen to enter the sanctuary and prepare and burn the incense. Now, I wasn't that familiar with this until I studied it. But as I studied it, I learned as a Levite, you'd serve maybe two times a year is all it was as a priest, because there were so many. So two times for one week in a year's time. Now each time it would come up to be his turn to serve they would take and they would cast lots and that would determine for that week or that day how you would serve. And only once in a lifetime would a priest have the opportunity to offer incense before the altar of incense before the Lord. So this was an incredibly special day for him. Once in a lifetime deal. And yet As we see Zechariah here, I think as special as this was, I think it was just one more time that he was faithful to the Lord. And I see an example of him that we can all look towards of a person that God was going to bless. What was he doing? We know what's going to happen, right? What was he doing when God spoke to him and was going to bless him? He was serving the Lord. It's an example we can always see. The person that God is going to use and bless was already faithfully serving the lord remember that as we continue to read this story look at verses 11 through 13 while Zechariah was in the sanctuary an angel of the lord appeared to him standing to the right of the incense altar zachariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear as he saw him verse 13 but the angel said don't be afraid zachariah god has heard your prayer Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. Are you guys still in the sanctuary? Are you in there? Think about it. What would it look like? We're all inside right now. It's dark. There's some light, right? There's a light of the one. There's a little bit of light. The lampstand, right? The candles are burning on the lampstand. There's a little bit of light. So Zechariah is in there. Look it like you're the camera person. You're looking. Zechariah is in there. He's gathering the incense. There's this big altar Right? Stands about this tall. There's coals in it. You're going to set the incense on it. There's, then the, the smell is going to go up. representing our prayers to God. And it goes twice a day. And the incense continually is always burning. So Zechariah's in there. One chance in a lifetime to be able to do this. And he's there. Right? So he's, he's preparing. He's gathering the incense. I don't know how he, what he carried it in with. He's getting ready to prepare the offering to the Lord. This was an offering. How do you think Zechariah felt as he's Lighting this incense and praying. Because he'd be praying. How do you think he felt? How do you feel? I mean, just imagine that once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to go in there. Can you imagine? I mean, just it'd be amazing, I'm sure, for him. And then he notices something. As he's praying, as he's burning this incense, he looks, right? He looks to his right. What does he see? An angel. What would you do? Imagine very, very dim room, right? Just some candles. He's very... I mean, the passage says he was overwhelmed with fear and shaken. You know, as I think about that, as I place myself in his shoes, what would I do? Um, What would my reaction be? I think if I was in his position, I would be at great risk of saying something or doing something I probably wouldn't share with anyone later. I'll put it that way. Um, If this happened to me. And then, as you read the passages, it says, the angel, what do he say? Don't be afraid. I don't know that this would have been that much comfort. I don't know. Don't be afraid. I don't know. And then the angel continues. He's going to deliver a message from God to his faithful servant, Zechariah. His prayer is answered. He's going to be a father. Can you imagine, as the angel is saying this to Zechariah, the, the, the thoughts of this, what's taking place just flooding through Zechariah's mind, I mean, he's still, I'm sure, in some disbelief. Am I hallucinating? Is this a vision? Is this real? Did I stand over the incense altars a little too deep? I mean, he's, I mean, I'm sure he's not even believing what he's seeing. But yet, the angel still has some more he wants to say to him. So, But before we get to the rest of the story of the angels, I want you to think about this. As we look at this word from God through this angel, Gabriel, we know and I think a lot of you have studied this before it's been 400 years since the Jewish people had heard anything from God. And this is the first words they now have heard in 400 years is don't be afraid. That's amazing. 400 years. Let's look back just we don't have to go very far in Malachi chapter 4 because let's look at the last time God spoke to the people 400 years before. Like the last page of the Old Testament. Verse 4, 1 through 6. I'm going to read it all. The Lord of the heaven's army says, The day of judgment is coming, burning like a furnace. On that day the arrogant and the wicked will be burned up like straw. they will be consumed roots, branches, and all. But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. And you will go free, leaping with joy like calves led out to pasture. On the day when you act, I will tread upon the wicked as if they were dust under your feet, says the Lord of the heaven's armies. Remember to obey the law of Moses, my servant, all the decrees and regulations that I gave him on Mount Sinai for all of Israel. Look, I am sending you the prophet Elijah. Before the great and dreadful day, the Lord arrives. His preaching will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Otherwise... I will come and strike the land with a curse. 400 years passes. The next word is, don't be afraid. Turn back to Luke, chapter 1. Look at these, see what this angel's got to say. He's got a little more to say. Verse 14 through 17. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. I, and I, I see there's so much detail there. And I think God did this to help Zechariah and us know and help us to understand who John would be and who then Jesus would be. And then to help Zachariah to know how to raise John and just to understand what was taking place. Because I'm sure this is extremely confusing, to say the least. Because we see here John the Baptist would be the one to be used by God to prepare the way for Jesus the Messiah. We read in Malachi about this prophet, Elijah, right? And his role in preparing the way for Jesus' second coming. I want to give you a quote from none other than Chuck Smith. John the Baptist has the same basic function in announcing the first coming of Jesus than that Elijah will have in the second coming. Let's let's read, concerning that, let's look at Jesus' own words. Turn to Matthew chapter 17. Matthew seventeen eleven through 13. Jesus replied, Elijah is indeed coming first to get everything ready. But I tell you, Elijah has already come, and he wasn't recognized, and they chose to abuse him. In the same way, they will also make the Son of Man suffer. Then the disciples realized they were talking about John the Baptist. God was going to use a man to go out into the world and share and prepare the world for the coming of Jesus. We read that the man that God would use would be one that would be completely committed to serving him. One that would be filled with the Holy Spirit. John even was called before his birth and then set apart from all the things of the world. And then through him, men, the hearts of men would be changed. Sinful, it said sinful lives would be changed to repentant hearts. So we've learned all about John the Baptist. And he's not even born yet. Isn't that amazing? So how do you think Zechariah is going to receive this news that he just heard? Turn back to Luke. And let's see. Luke chapter 1, verse 18 through 20. Zechariah said to the angel, How can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now, and my wife is also well along in years. Then the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was He who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you don't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. Disbelief. With a personal justification explaining why God's calling wasn't true. Think of that. Disbelief with a personal justification explaining why God's calling wasn't true. Just take a minute and think about this. An angel of God had just spoken this prophecy from God to Zechariah. What did he say to the angel of God? How can I be sure this will happen? What do you say when you read passages like we read earlier in Mark, my life verse? Let's turn back there again. What do you say? Mark 16, 15. And then he told them, Go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. God here is speaking through his word to each and every one of us, just as he used an angel to speak to Zechariah. So what excuses do we have, do we give? How do we justify not being obedient to that verse? Do you use worldly circumstances to excuse this command? This verse? Zechariah did. Look at verse 18 again. What did he say? i back one here for me. I am an old man now, and my wife is also well along in years. Good thing he didn't call her old, I guess, but well along. So he used this excuse, this worldly excuse of why God's word would not be true. Look at then Gabriel's response to Zechariah in questioning the word of God. What was it? What was his response? Can you... Read that. Look at, can you imagine the boom of his voice when he said that? Let's read it, verse 19, but let's, let's read it maybe like, like it really happened. Look at verse 19. Then the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was me who sent you to bring the good news. Probably didn't do it very well, but you imagine how this angel would have said that after Zechariah refused to hear that message from God? A faithful servant of God, Zechariah, has just been rebuked. His, his whole life, right? Zechariah, we read about it. His whole life was surrendered to serve God. But without God, in his old age, he was going to do something amazing through him. Finally. And what does he do? He stumbled. He, he found what God's calling, he called it impossible, because he said he was too old. His wife was too old. It's amazing. Yet, Even though this servant had disbelief, Zechariah, we see God's word will certainly still be fulfilled in a proper time. Let's continue. Look at verses 21 through 22. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah to come out of the sanctuary, wondering, why was he taking so long? When he finally did come out, he couldn't speak to them. Then he realized, from his gestures and his silence, that he must have seen a vision in the sanctuary. So while all of this was taking place inside the sanctuary, the people are outside. They're waiting. They're praying. They're wondering, why is this taking so long? Normally the priest would go in. He'd make the offering of the incense, right? He would pray, and then he'd walk out a short time later to face the people. It was custom. When he came out, the priest, they'd come out, and he'd pray a a benediction or a blessing over the people at this point. So the people were outside. They were waiting for Zechariah to come out and give them this blessing. And as I read this, it's interesting the detail that Luke gives that Zechariah, he came out and he still tried to communicate the people with the people after he's already been, he can't speak. He still tries. It's interesting. The angel had just told him, "'You will be silent and unable to speak until a child is born.'" Yeah, here he is in front of the whole crowd still trying to communicate what had taken place. You know, as I was thinking about this as you read it, I think of charades, right? Zechariah coming in, he can't speak. I imagine him, you know, he says he, he tried to explain to them by using his hands. So can you imagine watching Zechariah trying to explain what happened in the sanctuary without being able to speak? What would that look like, do you think? How would we act this out? Maybe I can try. Imagine Zechariah, he comes out before the whole crowd. He's like, imagine coming out. The people are looking at him. The people have no idea what's happening, right? They're looking at him. They assume, it says in the verse, they assume that maybe he had a vision. They didn't know what happened. So the people, they obviously, they went about their day. They continued on. So let's finish this up with the last few verses. Verses 23 through 25. When Zechariah's week of service in the temple was over, he returned home. Soon afterward, his wife Elizabeth was pregnant and went into seclusion for five months. How kind the Lord is, she exclaimed. He has taken away my disgrace of having no children. God's promise, his prophecy has been fulfilled. God spoke this prophecy through an angel, and it has been fulfilled. We read that the joy that Elizabeth felt as she expressed, How kind is the Lord. He has taken away my disgrace of not having any children. We also read an interesting fact, though. I I, I picked this out. It says she went into seclusion for five months. Why is that in there? It wasn't... I looked into it. It wasn't some tradition in Jewish culture. Um, Why did this detail make it into the Bible? That Elizabeth went into seclusion for five months. Whenever... I see little details like this in God's Word, it actually strengthens my faith. You might go, why, why, would, why would you say that? Because these are true, true stories written in God's Word. And these personal details, if this was a made-up story, wouldn't be in there. But why? So then I still, if this was made up, why would you include that? Why would you say that? There's no reference for that. Then I, I, I think about this, and I read this little detail. She went into seclusion. Why? 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 Now, we don't know for sure. It doesn't say. We have no other information. I even looked it up. Nobody knows. This is my opinion and strictly my opinion. I believe that Elizabeth didn't want anyone to know she was pregnant until she herself even knew it was absolutely true and even possibly that she wouldn't miscarry. I know many women, and we've prayed over many women that has had difficulty to conceive children. Uh, had difficulty becoming pregnant. And then I've known many of them, when they did become pregnant, very often they would wait to share with anyone because they wanted it to be true. Now, maybe there's a different reason. I, I, I don't know. But I know God's promise was fulfilled here. And I see that little detail there. I don't know why it's there. But I tell you what, I've, I've prayed over a lot of women. And I'll tell you, that's very common when they've prayed and prayed and prayed for years and years and years to have a child. And when they finally do get pregnant, they are very reluctant to share with a lot of people until they know for sure they can make it. And uh, I, that's what I see there. I don't know. I don't know. But when I see that little details to me, it just proves again and again to me the Bible is true. Because why is that detail in there? Again, I don't know why. I read a lot of commentaries, and nobody knows. Nobody knows. There was, there's not a reason, like in culture. So, So in closing up... We see God foreordained John the Baptist to be the one to prepare the way for Jesus. And as we say that, I want everyone here to know that God also has foreordained every one of us, his children, to share with the lost the hope that is found in Jesus Christ. Each one of us has been given different physical and different spiritual gifts, and through the Holy Spirit, we can prepare those around us to know Jesus. The question I asked earlier, and I'll ask again. As you look at your circle of influence around you, and the people that you know, if you go through that name and checklist in your head, is every one of them that you know ready to meet Jesus? And have you told them the truth of who Jesus is? I want to look at one last verse. Matthew chapter 3, verse 2 and 3. I'll, read, I'll just read the whole thing. In those days, John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching. His message was, Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The prophet Isaiah was speaking about John when he said, He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. This week, I would ask that each of us would notice the people around us and pray for the Holy Spirit. To show each one of us how we can prepare each of them to know Jesus as their Savior. So, the question again on this message was Who prepares the way? You know, as I think about who prepares the way, what means does God use through the Holy Spirit to prepare the way? What means does He use to go out for each of us? It's us. We're to go out into the world just like John the Baptist, and, and clear a path for Jesus to do the work in someone's life. We, uh, one thing is, for fact, we're, we're definitely not supposed to be a stumbling block for anyone to, to meet Jesus on that path. Um, and another, We shouldn't be idle, just sitting, waiting. But instead, we should have the same heart as Jesus, a heart for the lost, using the gifts that each and every one of you have been given to go out and share the good news. So I asked you earlier to give an example of how... You're sharing the gospel. How are you preparing the way for someone to meet Jesus? If you came up with one, you're like, great. That's awesome. I've got a bigger challenge for you. How about something new? How about something new? This is a real challenge. I don't care what you've done in the past. Great. I want you to go outside your normal and find a new way to share Jesus with someone this week. Something different. I'd love to hear about it. Now, for me, a... As I read this and I studied this, it it brought up part of my testimony. And I want to share just one minute of it. Because, you know, maybe some of you, God has already spoken to you or instructed you how you should serve him. Or, you know, how you can go out into the world and share. And this happened to me. God had spoken to me and he had gifted me in ways. But the problem was, is I heard from the Lord and that I was supposed to go out. But I told God, like Zachariah, I can't. I can't do that. I can't, I can't go out and share the gospel. I can't be a pastor. I can't go out to a foreign country. I, I've done too many bad things in my life. I'm not qualified. I don't know the Bible enough. I, I wasted years of my life making worldly excuses, explaining to God, justifying why I was not obedient. Don't make this mistake. Zechariah. That's what he did. He used the worldly circumstances to say this can't happen. Don't make this mistake. God has gifted each and every one of us in very unique ways, each and every one of us. Different ways. Not everyone's... Everyone's different. God's given us... He's got many, many parts, but we all have a purpose. In closing, I want to quote from Warren Worsby. Maybe some of you are familiar with Warren Worsby. Here's a quote from him. You've probably noticed that God often speaks to his people and calls them while they're busy doing their daily task. Both Moses and David were caring for sheep, and Gideon was threshing wheat. Peter and his partners were mending nets when Jesus called them. It is difficult to steer a car when the engine's not running. When do we get busy? When we get busy, God starts to direct us. Zechariah, what was he doing? He was serving God's people. So often people say, how do I go out and share the gospel. Start by doing something. I know it sounds simple, but God uses people so often that are already serving in some which way. Let's pray. You want to grab, Laura? Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for this message, Lord. As we hear this, and we hear about Zechariah and Elizabeth, and this prophecy of John the Baptist, and how you had ordained him from birth, before birth, and commissioned him to go out and pave the way, to clear the path for Jesus. Lord, I know that each of us also have a calling through your word, through your scripture, that we are to go out and share the good news, to share with the lost the hope of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we know we do this through the power of the Holy Spirit. We're not called to do that on our own. We're not even capable to do that on our own. But Lord, I pray that each of us, Lord, would seek you and look out this week and see how some which way out there, that we could share the good news in some new way. I think it's different for every one of us, Lord. You use this all in different ways and give to each of us in different ways. But Lord, I know if we will be conscious about this, if we will just take an active step in serving, many people can hear the good news. And then, Lord, your Holy Spirit can speak to them. So, Lord, I just, I pray for safety for everyone. As I know right now, this uh, city is going back into a lockdown, Lord. So, Lord, as the people are getting even more full of fear as they face, face these things. Lord, I just pray for opportunities to share the hope that we, we don't have to have fear because we serve a big God and we serve a God that loves each one of us. So, Lord, I just pray for each of us to have opportunities out there this week to share the hope that we found in Jesus. If there's anyone out there listening that doesn't understand or know you and has came to faith in you and call you Lord, Lord, I just pray your Holy Spirit would call, call them to you, Lord. And, Lord, they would experience what it is to experience that mercy and that hope through faith in you. So, Lord, we praise you and we thank you for this time of worship. I just pray your Holy Spirit would just, something would sink into our hearts through these passages, Lord, that when we walk out this door and we go out into the world around us, when we go through our week, Lord, we'd remember this. How can we share with these people? Because there's people all around us, Lord, that you've put there and you've given us ways through your Holy Spirit to speak to them. So, Lord, again, I praise you and I thank you, and we love you so much, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.